You're listening to the That's My Financial Guy podcast, where we talk about life, love, the funny, and of course, money. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I am your host, Brian Haney of The Haney Company, and I am pretty excited to have Dr. Renee Exelbert with me today as my guest. We're going to get into some pretty interesting stuff, and uh, I'm very excited to have you on. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to, you know, as, as we talked about yesterday, we got to go through the, the, the fantastic four hardest questions anybody's ever going to ask you, right? <laughs> the ones that, that, are, that are so thought-provoking and, and mind-numbing, it's hard. Um, let's start with, if you could have one superpower, what superpower would you have? That is like such an interesting question because I think that if you would have asked me that 10 years ago, my answer would have been so different than it is today. Um, because I think if we go through every single superpower, um, it's pretty much about uh, how we want to grow, right? Like we don't actually need anything. We don't, we really don't need anything. So um, any superpower I would have wanted 10 years ago, I don't really need anymore. Um, but I think that if I had to really think about a superpower, I would, um, I would want uh, to be able to sprinkle empathy on everybody in the world, like a, a Rachel Ray seasoning, you know, just like make sure that everybody could step in the shoes of somebody else. Um, Cause I think that that would really help the world. Yeah. No, I, I uh, wow. That's very, very empowering. And uh, I love the answer because uh, yeah, that would, I think that would be very transformative for sure. Especially as we, as we examine what we're experiencing in the, in the, you know, geopolitical challenges, it's uh, empathy can take us a long way. A yeah. long way. Yeah. I love that. Be better than mine of just wanting to fly and get places. <laughs> <back>. <laughs> All right. What food will you not eat under any circumstance? Oh, <laughs> um, I think that's another one. I think that we can, we can push ourselves. I, sorry to be so psychological and so like, you know, <laughs> cognitive, but the reality is, if I had to eat a food, no matter what, I'd eat it. Uh, I, I, I applied for the Peace Corps when I was, um, when I was younger, and the, uh, the person interviewing me said, if, you, if the host country only fed you rat, would you eat it? And I think he was really trying to trip me up and, and kind of let me know that he didn't think I was equipped for that. And I was like, if I had to eat rat, I would eat rat. So, yes, I would eat whatever was put in front of me if I had to. All right. <laughs> I will say this of all the guests, you are the first to accept that. So um, I love it. Yeah, I, I have ruled out insects. I guess I have to draw the line at insects for myself because that's really? just, I, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I've <laughs> they actually sell. They actually sell um, in some novelty stores like, you know, chocolate covered ants and, oh, you yeah. know, you can, yeah, um, I've tried them actually. <laughs> I, that doesn't surprise me, given your answer. <laughs> now they have, I've seen um, even in some uh, health stores as an alternative flower, like, I don't remember if it's locust. I mean, there's, there's a flower ground that's a ground insect or something like right. that, which... Not anyway. To say, they wouldn't, they, not to say these things wouldn't totally disgust me, but I would eat them. There you go. <laughs> there you go. It's all about the adventure. <laughs> 
Would you rather go to outer space or to the bottom of the ocean? Outer space because sharks aren't, you know, don't give me the warm fuzzies. <laughs> uh, yeah, kindred spirit. Finally, somebody that has that same shark factor dynamic. I am, I'm not a fan of sharks and yeah, don't, don't feel the need to come up any closer than the television screen. Right. <laughs> so, all right. I like it. Um, and besides this one, what podcast do you like to listen to that you would recommend to our audience? Um, you know, I don't actually listen to a specific podcast. I listen to a variety of podcasts on motivation, leadership, nutrition, mind, body, um, mindfulness. So I just scan um, and, you know, whatever piques my interest. Have you heard uh, any anyone recently that you enjoyed a lot or, or a topic that you listen to? Um, I like Deepak Chopra. I like... Okay. Um, you know, I, just really any, anybody who has, you know, and then some people who are completely, completely unknown, who just have uh, something to say about uh, adverse life experiences, um, because I think that everybody has something important to share. And so if it just piques my interest, I'm there. And I think that's the wonderful thing about the medium and also uh, how many people are now finding their voice, uh, whether it's a podcast or just, you know, it's, it's, a good place to be to be able to connect in a meaningful way to, you know, more people than we probably ever could have thought possible. So, Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. Well, tell, tell us about, you have a pretty awesome story and I don't, I don't even want to tee it up any more than to say that I'm going to let you tell, tell us your story. Cause uh, it's, it's remarkable. Thank you. Thank you for saying it's remarkable. Um, I was a psychologist working in a pediatric cancer center for six years where I worked with children who were diagnosed with cancer. Um, and I would work with the families all through their illness. And after about six years uh, of that work, which was incredibly beautiful, um, I considered it as close to God's work as you can get. Um, after six years, I, I was exposed to so much trauma there that I felt like it was time to take a break from the cancer world. And I left in April and in July, I was diagnosed with my own breast cancer diagnosis. So um, I had breast cancer. It was an early cancer. Um, you know, at the time it was, and, and it will always be very life changing. Um, I went through a lot. Um, and um, one of the things that you learn from cancer is that you think that you're in control of your body, but the medical doctors and the universe says, no, you're not. Um, and so throughout my journey, one of the things that I realized was that I really need to find ways to get in control or regain a sense of control. And so I started to get really into exercise and uh, nutrition um, because that was one of the ways that uh, research told us we could uh, change our health, our mortality, um, our state of mind, everything. And so I got really into exercise. I became a personal trainer, um, something I swore I would never do. I stood in, uh, in a bikini and a stripper heels and I flexed my muscles and I became a figure competitor, um, you know, which is just the furthest thing that I would have ever done. Um, but uh, it was really empowering because it marked my five-year anniversary and it marked me becoming really in control of my body. 
Uh, I opened up a center called the Metamorphosis Center for Psychological and Physical Change, and there I integrate psychotherapy and exercise. Um, and throughout this whole journey, um, you know, I've really believed in the importance of your thoughts um, and, and your thoughts controlling your outcome. Um, I did have a recurrence of breast cancer, um, and that was in 2014. Um, I truly believe that uh, being so healthy and in control of my diet and exercise like really, really helped me. Um, I'm, I'm rock solid. I am healthy and strong and I'm continuing on that same path. And the things that I've learned, I'm trying to um, bring to other people in terms of um, how your thoughts can impact your health and your life. Uh, but also lessons I learned along the way in terms of um, interactions with healthcare providers, friends and family, um, trauma, coping mechanisms to get through um, chronic illness and cancer. No, and I appreciate you sharing all of that because um, I mean, not only is it is it always a great story to 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 hear overcoming, especially something like cancer, um, but how. You, you've you've taken that and integrated it into your professional world, where you've uh, you know in your metamorphosis center, you've integrated the mental health with the physical health, which to me seems so smart and intuitive as uh, a reformed or a former uh, personal trainer myself. So I I love that aspect of your practice, and I and I'd love if you can talk a little bit about and maybe even give an example how you might, uh, you know, how you have a moment if you're having a psychotherapy session and then you're also involving some physical activity. I, I think that it's just, it, to me, when you described it the first time we talked, it, I found it to be fascinating. And yet, you know, I'm sure it's very life-giving and very impactful. So I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, um, it's the merging of my two passions. Um, you know, this mind-body connection tells us that our thoughts impact our a behavior or our body and that our body or our health impacts our thoughts. So thoughts can be so powerful. So it goes to, <clears throat> it goes to stand that anything that we uh, think powerfully about can uh, really impact um, our, our being. Right. And so I wanted to connect these two. Um, and so basically when I work with, I have a, my, my office is just like a crazy, uh, hodgepodge people walk in and it's just a bizarre place. It's half gym, half stodgy psychotherapy, um, place. And, um, and so basically, you know, it, it's up to the individual and if they want to integrate, but, um, I see us all as, you know, whole mind, body, not just separate entities of this is what I'm thinking about, or this is what I'm feeling, or that I have a physical pain. Um, I, we're totally connected. And so, for instance, I was recently working with somebody who left a very, very competitive uh, business world, um, and she found it to be uh, just, uh, what's the word? It took a lot from her. Um, she saw it as cutthroat and... Uh, not authentic and felt like it just really wasn't healthy for her. And so she made the decision to walk away from a tremendous amount of financial success um, and move towards something um, healthier for her, for her personally. And so one of the things that we do is besides talk about her experience from a psychological standpoint, she comes over to my gym and she will take um, dumbbells and put them at her heart and think about the place where she is at 
uh, emotionally and ha- and where she is right now in this world of competitiveness and um, aggression maybe. And she takes the dumbbells and as she's doing a chest press or a chest fly, actually, she thinks about expanding her horizons, thinking about like opening her heart up, opening up her world and seeing how she's going to expand. And so we will literally do sets of chest flies. And each time she's doing the chest flies, she's thinking about expanding her world. And so emotionally, she's pairing that thought with, you know, this physical sense of getting stronger, but it's all connected with this visual imagery, very specific to her. Um, So I basically create with the person a visual imagery that they want to work on in their own psychological world. Um, and we use the physical to, to get there. I mean, that's, and I, again, I, I can't underscore enough how much I love that dynamic because I, you know, I know how powerful it is. There's, you know, we hear all the stories about, you know, professional athletes and the visualization process that they go through before they, you know, before they hit a golf ball or do this or do that and how powerful that is because it's not just, all the training that you go through to physically prepare for something. It's, it's the fact that, you know, there's that much of an impact from mind to body. And, and, yeah. In everything that we do in everything, you know? Um, and so when I work with young children or, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, if you walk into an SAT and you think that you're going to bomb, then you will bomb. You know, it's all about like just gearing up your thoughts, but I wanted to pair the physical and the emotional. And I think that that's a really innovative dimension. And I, I just love it. Um, I think it's really, really powerful. And I've used it my, you know, I use it myself uh, when I'm in the gym um, or now, of course, in my basement. Um, any exercise that I do is not a standalone exercise. Every single exercise that I do, I'm thinking about pairing it somehow with some psychological goal in my mind or somewhere uh, that I want to see myself, um, which, you know, is sort of funny because it's like you could look at somebody doing an exercise and you have no idea that they're, lo- you know, off in La La Land, they're seeing them <laughs> themselves in a Supergirl cape and she's flying through the universe, you know, like whatever it is, it's like, you know, I, I truly believe in that. So. Well, and I mean, and the, the physiological impact, I mean, and, and, you know, it's, it's well-documented and studied, you know, how, you know, how much that uh, element of it reinforces so many good behaviors and, and, you know, gives you mental clarity, you know, I mean, it's just, it's kind of like, when you when you do what, what what you're talking about on a regular basis, even in small and large ways, there's just so many discernible benefits from mental clarity, acuity, uh, obviously the yeah. physical component. I mean, it just it, it elevates your entire life, and uh, you know, I, I think it's something that I wish we probably talked a lot more about, and even across the spectrum. And, and I'm sure you've you know, you've experienced some of this and are probably trying to integrate where, you know, the, the mental, the medical, the physical, the nutrition, if, if we could have almost a more team dynamic to put these pieces together as they, as they really need to be, uh, you know, I think that that would be extremely powerful for us as a society. Yeah. So I'm trying, I'm starting, I'm trying to get my message out. (laughs) Well, tell me about what, what is it like, you know, in your space, do you find that other medical providers are receptive or, or connect well with um, your approach to, 
you know, again, physical and, and mental health? I think it totally depends on the clinician. Um, I work with some physicians who are incredibly psychologically minded and uh, just in terms of the psychological and they, you know, every time they see a patient, they will assess if that person is depressed or anxious and they will incorporate that as part of their um, medical evaluation. Whereas I have some other physicians that I work with that, and that's completely separate. That's not something they pay attention to. Um, so I think in incorporating the exercise or the physical, I think it's really contingent upon each individual professional and some are really, really receptive and some are very uh, uni focused, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think that uh, this whole mind body perspective and the biopsychosocial uh, is something that really needs to be um, taught more in in uh, medical schools to healthcare providers, and that's part of um, you know a lot of the, my experience and the thing that I talked to in a in a book that I recently wrote. I talk about you know really the need for um, healthcare professionals in particular to incorporate this uh, biopsychosocial to look at the person in the whole perspective, emotional, physical, psychological, uh, because we cannot see individuals and we cannot see um, mental health or physical health as, as one dimensional. It's not, you know, we are complex individuals and we carry all that stuff with us. Well, no, I mean, I, I just immediately, I, I think of, uh, you know, some examples that, that I know uh, both personally and, and in my world where, you know, just the concept of pain, right. Where somebody might be experiencing some, manifestation of physical pain that they're they're going through and yet there there can be a lot of examples where that pain may be the symptom of not a physical condition but a mental nervous one as much as it could be anything else and yet to to the you know to your point of hopefully having more people across the landscape of the medical profession recognizing that those two intersect uh, I think it's really important and I imagine also with, you know, you mentioned, especially children or young adults, I think that that's probably a powerful thing as, as we grow up and we have a better understanding of emotional intelligence and the impact. I think a lot of times you might see a child say, you know, I don't feel good or this or that. And, and sometimes maybe what they're describing is physical, but maybe sometimes it's not. And yet, you know, we need to be able to kind of see that holistically and to, to better diagnose things. I imagine that's Hopefully something, like you said, more practitioners can uh, try to lean into a little bit more. Yeah. Here's a, a staggering um, uh, statistic. Uh, I used to work in a chronic pain clinic. 90% of pain has a psychological component. And wow. what that means is that if two people are involved in the exact same car accident, one person's going to get up and say, I'm okay. I got to get back to work. I'll, I'll, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to be in pain. And another person's going to ask for the neck brace and ask for an attorney and say that they need to, you know, be home. And so, so much of how we respond, you know, is, yeah, is based on our psychological. And that's not a critical thing. You know, sometimes we have needs that aren't met emotionally um, and we don't know how to get them met. And so sometimes uh, people learn early on that if they, cry, no one will respond to them. But if they have, you know, chronic gastritis, you know, um, that that maybe someone will pay attention to them. So I, I see kids all the time with 
chronic headaches and uh, chronic stomach aches, and they've been to so many doctors, and it's that they're just internalizing, you know, anxiety in their bodies instead of, you know, being able to, you know, verbally articulate it. Well, and, and do you find uh, that, you know, uh, the concept, of, uh, that word overcoming, where it seems like I've seen a lot of examples of, you know, if there's a spectrum of, of, of overcoming some kind of an obstacle experience, physical, what, what have you, that really it all seems to start with mentally overcoming first before all the other things play out. Yeah. Have you found that to be true? A hundred percent. But I also think that that overcoming is a journey. Yeah. Um, I some of that, uh, you know, they, uh, some research talks about having what they call a fighting spirit. Um, you know, studies show us that resilience can be developed like a muscle, that you're not born with resiliency. It's something that you, you learn to develop. Mm. Um, you know, uh, smooth seas don't make good sailors. That's one of my favorite quotes, right? I, love it. It, it, I do too, because it, it pretty much says that you have to, you know, go through adversity in order to become stronger. Right. And so, yeah, um, very important. The, the, the thought process to overcome. Well, I mean, and that's the basic biological experience of weightlifting, right? You're tearing down your muscles so that they can be rebuilt to be stronger. I, you know, I thought that I was the first person to ever come up with that metaphor. I literally, I wrote that in my book. I thought that I was like this genius. I was like, you have to break it down. It's like psychology. And then I heard somebody else say, and I'm like, wait, did, did they steal that from me? But yeah, that's like the whole thing in, in, you know, in weightlifting. We have to break down the muscle in order to make it stronger. Um, so you were the second person, Brian, to confirm that that was not my original thought. No. Like, oh, bummed about that but it is a beautiful thought because it is such a metaphor for life you know yeah. and how they're you know how they're all connected you cannot separate them and, and that's why you know what we accomplish physically is so you know commensurate to what we can do mentally you know in in terms of of overcoming anxiety or fear you know being an active agent on your environment like through exercise is so empowering i think that there's nothing more powerful in the world than doing a push-up because a push-up is a metaphor for literally psychologically and physically supporting yourself up in the world, like holding yourself up. Mm. And so that coming back to the, you know, the imagery, when I do a push-up, I am literally thinking when I go down, I'm thinking about like a life experience that may have pushed me down. And then when I push up, I'm like, but you're going to push yourself up. Mm. And it's never just a put, it's never just a push-up. It's like, you know, there's a lot in there. I love that. I love that. And I want to segue or, or really kind of build from this point into current dynamic and talk about, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic, which, you know, I, the word unprecedented, I, I can't get away from it these days because it seems like it's just, you know, the only way to describe it. But it, it to me, it, it is clearly shaking a lot of things across our society and our culture. And, and I always, I'm wired to have the, the, you know, the framework that that's always a good thing and, you know, seek out silver linings, but it's, it, you know, sometimes I have to step back and realize that we also have to understand that there's a lot of pain and challenge that we're collectively experiencing. And, and it's revealing a lot of these, um, you know, probably mental, nervous, and psychological concerns. So 
you know, how would you, I guess, frame this pandemic experience um, in, in what you see people going through? And maybe if there's a, a nugget or a tidbit of, that you could provide to anybody that's trying to maybe do a push-up now, right? And make it through and, and, and keep themselves on, on a healthy path, both mentally and physically. Yeah, um, I think that this time period has brought up um, for everybody this incredible feeling of uncertainty and a lack of control. And we know that those two uh, experiences uh, increase levels of anxiety and mental health issues and uh, conflict, all sorts of things, so many things, and we can talk about in a second, so many so many dynamics, but I think that one of the main things that we need to be doing during this time period is doing things that make us feel back in control. Uh, and so for each person, that's going to be individual. For me, mm -hmm. it's always diet and exercise, but for somebody else, it's just, it might be different things. It might be uh, deciding each day to get up at the same time or go to bed at the same time or um, meditate or, you know, some self-care ritual or getting out, making sure to get outside every day and being exposed to nature, which we also know has tremendous, you know, beneficial uh, effects for psychological health. So I would say doing things that make someone feel in control. Uh, when it comes to your world with the financial, right, like everybody's completely out of control right now. They don't know what's happening. Um, they're worried about their money. They're worried about losing their jobs. They're worried about being furloughed. They, they're, they're seeing their investments change. Like there's a lot of lack of uh, certainty, right? So it comes back to like doing whatever you can to be in control, um, making small decisions that, you know, that you feel um, you can, yeah, that comes back to control, making small decisions that you feel you can be in control of. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of what we can be doing right now. Um, you know, and then in terms of like other aspects, right, it's, it's self-care, mindfulness, um, you know, gratitude, um, being thankful for the things that we do have, um, you know, humor, uh, some of the same coping techniques that we have, you know, with cancer, right? Like human connectedness, social support, um, reaching out to other people. I know so many people during this pandemic have reached out to, you know, the girl that they had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with in third grade, you know, like relationships have been rekindled, which is a beautiful thing. Um, coming back to the things that, you know, are very soul feeding, you know, um, so many people have been talking about new hobbies that they've taken up. For me, another thing that I personally do when I feel like, uh, you know, the world is chaos um, is I come back to creating. Mm -hmm. um, if, I, if I bake a cake or I make some sort of art, uh, it's literally like creating something out of nothing. Um, and I think that that's why babies always give us some sense of hope for the future because it's like something that's, just this beautiful new creation that, you know, is proof that we're going to go on and that there's light, right? And so I can even get that same light from baking a cake. It's like, it wasn't here before and it is now. And I did it and I put my, my, chocolate, my chocolate stamp on it and it's here, um, so. Well, and you, you've described a few things that I think um, correspond to certainly some of the things that I know uh, you know, I work with in the professional arena too. Like you said, I mean, there's, I always tell 
anybody, you know, that money is, is such a great equalizer because it's the universal language, right? So we all need it to survive and thrive. And it doesn't matter how much or how little you have. It's something that you're going to engage with. It's, you know, statistically the number one reason couples fight. It has a it's a great kind of microcosm to a lot of these really what, what end up being, you know, psychological dynamics playing out, but that control component uh, comes into play a lot. And one of the things that I know uh, that I try to do as I help people with the financial component is actually also the mental component where, you know, the the concept of, you know, fiscal fitness or wellness, um, which, and even that term wellness to me, that's a mind and body dynamic as much as it is a financial one. And I think one of the things that I try to help my clients with is, you know, to develop this habit of, of creating a positive framework for their money, because I think, and, and I'm sure you've probably seen this, so I'd love to hear if you have even a story or two about this, where, you know, we have this almost, we come to our own money negatively for, for a variety of reasons, life experience, bad decisions, you just, it's almost like, you know, we think of money and, and then, you know, you're in a pandemic, so you've got all these, you know, out of control factors, markets going up and down and left and right, and you're like, ugh, you know, and, and so almost sometimes, you know, as much as we can, I can help somebody create a framework for, you know, taking back control and moving through a process of financial empowerment. I think the, the step that I really try to emphasize as well is let's also try to have a habit of, of positivity and have a mental attitude that, you know, money isn't going to control me. I can control it and it can be a good experience, not some sort of a negative one I have to try to avoid. I don't know if you've seen whether it, whether in your own kind of clinic, uh, that being an issue that people talk about, or maybe just something as a process that you've seen um, that's helped people out is, uh, you know, that kind of the, the paradigm shift, I think is the Stephen Covey term, right? Or the, you know, creating this mental framework for success rather than a negative one. Right. Um, I do. I think that uh, as soon as people talk about money, I think it, I think instantaneously people become stressed uh, and that's, you know, that's tied into so many psychological variables, right? Like perfectionism and where they stand in the world and their level of success. And, uh, you know, if there's, if it's a couple conflict maybe, or, you know, fighting, I mean, there's so there's pressure from children keeping up with the Joneses. Like there's so much in that. Right. And so part of it is, is also just, breaking it down that we're not, when it comes to anything, whether it's uh, money or um, our job or a relationship, uh, nothing is all or nothing. You know, not nothing is all or nothing. Um, is that an oxymoron, what I just said? No, not, <laughs> but, I mean, but I tracked it, so it's good. <laughs> it can't be all or nothing, right? It has to be, we have to sort of see our lives as a pizza pie, right? That that we break it down into different parts and that, um, you know, and that financial is a piece of who we are and, um, and we want to examine that, but we never want to make it everything about our entire identity. Right. Um, because, you know, when you do have that paradigm shift, things can change, right. When we know that couples, when they're fighting the most, particularly in this pandemic, right. A lot of it is anxiety about money. Right. Yeah. And people get so caught up in that, in that uh, in that mind frame that 
that they can lose really important aspects of, of what makes their relationship beautiful because they're so stressed out about money, you know? And so part of it is like understanding that money's important, but that, that it's just a one piece of our pizza pie, right? And that if we're going to look at eight slices of our pizza pie and make money eight slices, you know, then we're ignoring so many other amazing cheesy meatball slices, right? Yeah. You know, so we have to, for anything in our lives, we have to give it an appropriate slice um, and, and not make it, you know, more slices than it needs to be. Uh, as amazing as pizza is sometimes, you know, <laughs> we have to spread it out, you know? And so, yeah. So I think that it's important to be balanced in whatever you do and, um, to look at things whole, I guess I'm coming back to this idea of like looking at things holistically. Well, and, and, you know, I think that I try to have conversational components with clients about, you know, understanding how we're wired. I, I, I firmly believe not just philosophically, somewhat spiritually, but also professionally, we're relational beings in nature. And that's a, that's a really good thing. That's a part of what it is to be human. And, and therefore, a lot of times it, it's kind of that process of let's make sure we assign the right level of value to things in life. Because a lot of times I think, and, and I'm sure, again, this is, you know, front and center, what you see probably a lot um, is, is, is things get disproportionate, right? And money is one of the biggest examples, right? Where we've assigned disproportionate value to it and therefore it's exerting or we're allowing it to exert an undue level of influence and control over our lives and our emotions and our, all the other stuff. And so sometimes it's just, let's step back. Let's, let's actually, you know, try to see things for what they are and make sure that we're assigning the right levels of value just to things in general. You know, maybe that means if money's become too big, maybe that means our marriage, our relationships have, have gone down in value. The pendulum has swung too much and we need to kind of recalibrate um, but I think that that's probably something that, uh, you know, is maybe a helpful process and, and probably one that isn't easy to do, right? You know, it's not, you know, the staples easy button, you can just press it. But I think that that's also uh, something I've seen a lot that helps, especially couples, you know, hey, let's, you know, this is an issue, it's a source of stress, but let's step back. Is there anything about our values that maybe have gotten out of alignment? Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. use that as a, as a, as a, you know, means to com have conversation that sometimes we never end up getting back to talking about money. We just, you know, <laughs> we deal with some other things and, right. you know, money's the next meeting or whatever. Right. But, it, you know, even in terms of coming back to like the things that we can control, you know, even though sometimes people feel out of control with money or feel controlled by it, you can always come back to small ways that you can be in control, you know, like whether you have a little or a lot. It, it still comes back to, well, okay, well, and then I know you, you see this all the time, right? Like, well, let's see what we're dealing with and what's, and what can you do in your power, right? To just, to be in control of this, whether, you know, I know my daughter is, you know, she's just starting her first job, right? And she's not, she's not bringing home the bacon, right? She's, she's getting a salary, right? But at this age, it's like, okay, well, you have this amount of money. What do you want to do with it? Right? There's tremendous latitude in that, right? She doesn't have bills, she doesn't have a mortgage, but it's like, how do you want to allocate? How do you, you know, let's start thinking about your values. And those are going to change dramatically. But like, 
let's start thinking about that now. Right. Like, you know, and, and there is control in that even, you know, even if it's, I'm going to set aside $5 because that's all I have, you know, there, there is some control in making that decision, you know? Yeah. And it's empowering. And, and that's, that's, yeah. I mean, it's so much about all the little small steps that we take are really just, again, you, you described it perfectly taking back control. If, if you feel like you haven't had it to begin with, but also empowering to align your values and actually, you know, use money for what it is. Money is just a tool. You know, it has no intrinsic value except that which we assign to it. So, you know, channel yourself, your values, use it effectively. I think I read this uh, yesterday where, and I'm going to probably get the saying a little bit wrong, but it, it was something that I was like, man, I've, I felt that and believed that for so long. And then I finally read it. And it said, wealth is not, wealth is all about what you do with what you have, not how much you have. Exactly. A hundred percent. I didn't say that saying though. Gosh, I didn't say that one either. Yeah. But it's true (laughs) because it's like when you, if somebody is upset that they don't have money left over from all of their bills. Right. And I'm sure you, you know, you deal with this constantly. Part of the control is coming back to, well, let's look at what you're spending your money on. What they're spending their money on isn't like these things that are awful. Right. It's like, Oh, it's my mortgage. Yeah. Well, that's your house. That's like, (laughs) what a beautiful thing. Right. Like whatever it is, like, you know, there's gratitude. It's coming back to some of this and not to be all, you know, PC granola, but it's coming back to some of these things where it's like, but that's your choice, right? It's your choice to pay rent. And like, let's look at that. Like, that's a beautiful thing that let's look at the fact that you can, you know, own a home. And I know that it may seem like, uh, you know, you're tied down to it, but like, that's a choice that you've made with your money, right? Like there's power in those decisions. There's power in the fact that yes, you have to pay car insurance, but you have made the decision that you are going to drive and that that gives you latitude. Right. And so part of it is just seeing what you're spending your money on in a different way. Right. It's not like being tied down. It's there's, there's some gratitude and also some freedom and control. And the fact that, yes, these are all things that you quote unquote feel like you have to do, but you don't actually have to do them. And if you are choosing to do them, maybe you can look at it with some gratitude for the fact that, you know, it's not imprisoning you. It's the way that you're looking at it. You know what I mean? Oh, no, you, you hit the nail on the head. And it's sometimes, you know, um, there, there's, you know, all these wonderful sayings that, that we hear, you know, the things that you end up, the things that you own can end up owning you. So you want to be careful. And I think yeah. probably this pandemic, one of the silver linings that I've really tried to lean into and embrace that I see is that hopefully that, um, that truth is kind of on full display right now because to your point about gratitude and I think about you know, this, this assignment of value and our values in general, right? Rightly assigning value to things in the, in the correct proportion. You know, I think uh, hopefully if you've had this level of stress and felt tied down, but now you're really seeing, oh my gosh, you know, a lot of things are shaking out. Hopefully you can have a new framework to say, well, you know, I got a roof over my head and that's wonderful. I have a, you know, yes, I have to pay car insurance, but I have a car. I can go places. I'm not, you know, I don't have to worry about 
the metro or a bus or this, you know, if that's the case. And, and just really starting to get those appreciation points involved in how you're seeing things and, you know, just being able to, I think a part of our culture, and this is challenging, but it's, it's you know, I see this very frequently in the American culture. We have this kind of an overly consumeristic consumption oriented framework. And, and sometimes the impact I've found that has is you kind of, you know, we can, we can buy, especially since we can do it online on a computer, you can literally click a button and something shows up at your doorstep in two days, thanks to Amazon. You don't think enough about it anymore. And the things that you get, it's kind of like, well, I can throw this away or I can just get a new one. And it almost, we've, we've, I think become in many respects a little bit too disconnected from being able to make a purchasing decision and actually just having appreciation for that. Um, and I think that hopefully some of that is something that I'm trying to have conversations about and just allowing people in general to let's take a step back and realize, you know, whether it's a Starbucks latte or a house, let's have an appreciation for these purchasing decisions that we get to have and, and actually value things a little bit more. You know, if I buy a, a new TV, maybe I don't have to replace it in two years because there's another one that I like more. Maybe I can really value that and, you know, use it until it almost, you know, gets run down or what have you. I think that that's people, I've found so much power when I see people start to then realize, you know what, like, I want to appreciate what I have more instead of just getting something else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're bringing up sort of an interesting topic, which is something that I've seen with some of the people with whom I work. Um, There are lots of people who are losing their jobs and tremendously worried about finances. And then there are others who haven't lost their jobs and in fact are financially thriving right now um, because of their investments. And I have been told by many people who are financially thriving that, you know, they're making so much money right now um, but that there's a lack of meaning right now because mm. they can't do anything with it. Right. Mm. So like vacations are being canceled and, you know, part of, I think when you, when you say, you know, we're relational human beings, right. I think part of life experience is that, you know, people also um, want witness to their life experiences. They want to share things with people. They want to, connect with other people and not that, you know, things are about showing other people, but we want people to be part of our experience. Right. And so when people couldn't graduate high school or have a prom, right, like they're missing out on these essential life experiences, but they're also missing out on people witnessing, right. Their life events. Right. And so like when people are making money right now and they don't really have anything that they're doing with it, you know, it sort of also comes back to, well, what, you know, what's meaningful for me, right? Like, what does it all mean? It's, you know, it's great to have money, you know, but like, what does it mean? You know, what are the things that I need in my life? What are the things that, you know, and once again, coming back to this idea of the pizza, right? Like putting it all in its place, you know? I like that. Yeah, I completely agree. And and I, I find it very interesting. And, and, you know, I think that that's, it's a good reason why, you know, as we have these kind of conversations and, and hopefully draw more people into this, you know, take, take advantage of the, the pressure 
take advantage of doing the push-up, right? The weight that you might be experiencing, I, that concept of, you know, if you're feeling provoked by something, challenged, there's something that's pressing on you in some meaningful way, lean into it because that's where you'll find that, you know, that synergy of being able to overcome, taking that step. Um, and I, I want to, there's, there's one point that I wanted to make sure that I, that I just talked to you about specifically because it's a little bit near and dear to me in terms of some people that I, that I care about. And I've seen this uh, a lot. So somebody that's um, you would categorize as high anxiety or somebody that struggles with anxiety. I, am, I, I, I know for a fact, or at least from you know, people that are close to me who suffer from that, that this pandemic experience is kind of like you know, the proverbial icing on, on the terrible cake that they usually have to deal with. It's like, you know, magnified. So how, how do you help someone that has anxiety, whether it's, you know, high or, or just a little bit, how, what are some of the things that you've found help uh, people progress through that, um, that have, have been meaningful? And also, have you seen examples where somebody went from having, you know, what they would consider clinically high levels of anxiety to a place in life where they feel like their anxiety is much more manageable or under control. So I'd love to talk about that, you know, and zoom in on it in detail. Absolutely. So I see um, everything that we go through in life on a continuum, right? So that's why the people who come to see me don't feel pathologized because I say we all have anxiety. We all get depression. Mm -hmm. None of us are immune to that, right? So we're on a continuum. At times, we're on a zero. This is how much I love math, right? We're at a zero on the number line. And other times, we might be at a 10. And that's based on life events, but it could also be based on our biology, our genetic, right? And so we all fluctuate on that number line. So one of the things that I'm really into, as you've heard incessantly already about the mind-body, it's also like every day seeing yourself on a number scale and not even just every day throughout the day, multiple times throughout the day on a scale of zero to 10, zero, I have no anxiety, 10, I have high, high anxiety. Where am I right now? A lot of people will say I'm at a five. I don't have a lot of anxiety. I I'm, you know, I'm in the middle. The problem with being in the middle is that anxiety is like a volcano around four. It starts getting hot lava it's churning, right? It's churning, it's churning. Mm -hmm. And once it gets to a five, it doesn't just slowly explode, right? Once it gets to a five, it's ready and it's, and it's gone and it takes off and the lava is erupting. And so one of the things to do from a physical standpoint is constantly be in tune to our bodies, what our bodies are telling us, right? And so if you're feeling a little bit tightness in your chest or your shoulders, you want to like breathe, take some breaths, walk away, massage your head. I know this sounds weird, but like pet your arms like you're petting a dog, right? Like chill yourself out, pick up, walk around, get out in nature for three minutes, right? You can do that at any point during the day. Mm -hmm. Throughout the day, if you're seeing yourself getting anywhere near four, you want to continuously take breaks. If you're watching a scary movie, you don't say, oh my gosh, I'm really terrified. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so scared, right? Your heart starts racing, your muscles get tight, your blood pressure increases, you have all of the physiological responses, right? Everything's going on in your body. So that's what is the you know, expression of anxiety. You need the physical 
to happen in order for the anxiety to be expressed. You have to have that physical. And so when we come back to this number scale, zero to 10, when you're about a four, that's when the heart rate starts increasing, the muscles get tight, the blood pressure, your skin temperature can even change. And so once it happens, once you're at a five and all of a sudden your heart rate starts you know, kicking in and your mm-hmm. pulse, everything starts going up, you're already in that high physiological state. And once you're there, you know, from five to 10, it's the difference between like some stress to panic attacks to full blown anxiety, right? Like, so once you're there, it's very hard to kind of rein it back in. And if you really think about the metaphor of a volcano, once the, the lava is erupting, it's really hard to come back and be like, excuse me, can you just please go back in there? Right? So the idea is to try and prevent it from happening. And the way that we prevent it from happening is consistently being in tune to what we're feeling in our bodies. If I'm working with a high conflict couple, say, and they're screaming at each other for 45 minutes, there's no way in the world that I don't experience that. So Mm -hmm. I will be aware that like my shoulders are tight. I feel it in my chest. So I don't care who's waiting for me in my waiting room. When they leave, I take a minute. (sighs) I breathe. I like, I'll massage my head for a minute and I will make sure that on my number scale, zero to 10, if I was at a, you know, a five, that I'm bringing it down to a three before I start with somebody new, because I can't start with somebody new and build on a four or a five. It's not going to be fair to that person. It's not going to be fair to my body. Right. And so we experience this with anxiety, with rage, we have to constantly bring it down. And so for the average person to come back to your question, how do you deal with the anxiety? It's a throughout the day, check in with your body, move your shoulders around, give yourself a little massage, take multiple breaths, right? There's so many apps that are connected to daily breath. You can set up on your iWatch like a um, daily, you know, uh, hourly breath. Um, They have the, you know, get up and walk around, uh, take a breath. And even by doing those small things, you're letting some of the pressure go. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's, that's, that's such a great answer. And, and it's, and it's helpful because, you know, it, it is, you know, when I, when I've seen uh, many people in my circle that, you know, it always seems like they're hovering close to 10 on some days. And I'm like, and for me, my wiring, I'm, I'm always seem to be closer to, you know, two or three. And, and it's kind of like, well, neither of us either understand those, those worlds because I, I never seem to get overly anxious about anything. And yet, but to, to know back to the, what you just described, that there are some very effective physiological ways to actually really help, you know, that mental framework that I'm sure we just don't, you know, we, we're not, we have not been trained or taught to think about that connection, but yet, you know, it, it is... I mean, I think of all the times when I feel like refreshed, what my body feels like in those moments. And, you know, yeah. just to try to, to, to perpetuate that, you, your mind can't help but, I imagine, respond when your body's kind of, ah, you know, right. it, it's the same thing. So I, I love that. I, I appreciate that as a, as a, as a good nugget for, for everybody. Um, I'm, I'm taking it apart today. <laughs> Take- Take the nugget, take the nugget. But it's also about like the whole mind body, right? It's like anxiety is also like, you know, tied into our foods. It's tied into our exercise, right? Like there are tremendous things to learn about nutrition. 
You know, like if you're going to eat a bunch of carbs and your sugar is going to crash, you know, like we know that, you know, when your blood glucose crashes, you know, you learn this obviously in personal training, when your blood glucose crashes, if somebody has underlying anxiety or depression or low mood, that's only going to exacerbate it, right? So we have to constantly be stabilizing our blood glucose. And there are lots of ways to do that, you know, looking into good nutrition. And there are lots of ways individually for somebody to just identify the things that calm them right? Like I know that if I'm stressed out, I need to, like, I know I need to work out. Working out's my therapy. Like that's where I get my crazy out. You know, I need to exercise, you know, and if I'm upset, I will, or nervous, I will work out differently. If I'm angry, man, I'm going to lift heavy that day. Right. (laughs) You know, but like, you know, we have to identify the things that help us. If I'm, if I go out into nature in 10 minutes, I can be transformed literally you know, also baking, right? So we need to figure out for ourselves the things that help us. That's a very important thing. Not to figure out what helps other people, not to look on social media. And, you know, it's about coming back to the things that we know light us up inside and help us, you know, individually. That's beautiful. I, I, I can't say it better than that. And so I won't try. Um, I want to just kind of finish with, uh, do you have any parting thoughts or any shout outs that you like to make? Shout out to the Bulldogs. Yay. <laughs> it it yes. was a, such a pleasure talking to you, Brian. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Renee. It, it, it's been great. And it, I'm, I will, I'm sure we're going to have you back because especially when it comes to, you know, you, you started to scratch on my next itch, which should be the nutri- nutrition conversation. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll have to, so that'll be part two uh, of, of whatever we're, we're going to explore together. That was great. So thank you. How could somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to reach out? I know you've written a book. What are the best ways for somebody to contact you? Sure. Um, well, the title of my book is called Chemo Muscles. Uh, and I, my website is drexelbert.com. Uh, and you can reach me there. And my book is on Amazon and mascot books. And I'm super proud of it. And I feel like there's a lot of good nuggets in there for, for everybody to pick up on. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, to, to be continued, let's just put it that way. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at The Haney Company. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC.